Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It's the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, you can go back later and pick it up at the Faith Radio app, or you can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. How do you thwart hackers? So I didn't know this, but here's a really simple, apparently, way to keep hackers from at least your digital life that you carry around in your pocket on your smartphone or cell phone or dumb phone. I don't know. I think that they can hackers can probably only hack into quote unquote smartphones, which might beg the question of whether or not they're ultimately smart. But um, let's just I digress. I apologize. Um, Make a regular practice of turning your phone off and turning it back on. Yep. Yep. That's it. That is the counsel and wisdom from the National Security Agency. That would be the NSA. They have issued mobile device best practices And because they recognize that we don't have a lot of readers anymore and we all like little little icons and little pictures, it's a pictographic issued by the National Security Agency. Mobile device best practices. Guess what? Best way to thwart hackers? Turn your phone off and turn it back on. Make a regular practice of simply turning your phone off and turning it back on. I wish there were more to this story, but frankly... That's it. That's the council. Now, obviously, they have uh, specific things related to protecting your data and and those kinds of things. But um, basically, after you read the whole thing or look at the whole thing because it's a pictographic, it comes down to this. Make a regular practice of turning your phone off and turning it back on. There you go. That's it. I think this is like the PSA of the day related to digital technology, um, which is all a lead up to my conversation with John Brandon. He's a Forbes columnist. He is also our digital media director here at Northwestern Media. We are going to talk about a number of things. Uh, We're going to talk about Instagram Christianity. We're going to talk about Facebook and the Olympics. Um, But before I jump to my conversation with John, I also wanted to, to clue you in on this today. You can actually go to the New York Times and find your opposite job. I didn't even know that this was a thing, but apparently each and every one of us has an opposite job. And so here was my challenge. Like, what is my job? You have to be able to type your job in to actually be able to figure this out. Um, But if you were to type in the job of a kindergarten teacher, the opposite of that would be a physicist. (laughs) If your job were a news editor, your opposite job is a model. Guess what, Paul Perot? If your job is in radio at all, your opposite job is a model. <laughs> what? Oh, no, 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 no. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. If you type, that's what I'm saying. If you type the word radio as the, as the first word into this opposite job thing, um, what the, the opposite job is model. Mm-hmm. And so 
And so here's here's going to be my concern. You know, everybody wants us to do like a third hour or some kind of something that's video based. I'm thinking they haven't plugged in the word radio to the opposite job uh, clearing house at the New York Times. I was apparently. Yeah, I was at least hoping for brain surgeon or something like that. <laughs> no. Here's, so so I thought, well, maybe radio, maybe that's not my job. I mean, it is my job. <laughs> maybe I should put writer. Maybe I should put writer or author yeah. in there because that's also true. You've done that. Guess yeah. what? Guess what my opposite job would be. What? Mobile home installer. <laughs> so, oh. so, um, and then I did like this one. I thought I would lift this one up. And this, this is related to the fact that, you know, I have cows that need to <clears throat> go to um, see the butcher soon. Um, the opposite job of the uh, butcher yeah. is to be an architect, which I think is cool because one breaks down and the other, the other builds up. up. I know. I uh, just thought. All right. Your opposite job. There you go. I thought that was kind of a curious conversation topic very, for the day. Very. All right. John Brandon is up next. He's a guy with lots of jobs. He's a Forbes columnist. He's a digital media director here at Northwestern Media. He is also an author. Um, and therefore, the opposite job would be a mobile home installer. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. John Brandon, who is a social media influencer, digital content dude, um, jobs that don't exist, by the way, uh, in the database of what's your opposite job at the New York Times. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so just so that you know, there's no job, according to this opposite job uh, database, there's no job that starts with the word social, starts with the word digital, or starts with the word influencer. So I'm not sure that the database is up to date. Nice. That must mean I'm in the right job, I guess. There is exactly. no opposite job. There's no opposite job. All the jobs are yours. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about um, Facebook and the Olympics. Sure. Yeah, Facebook and the Olympics. Uh, I wrote about this for Forbes the other day. You know, one of the things that I'm curious about with Facebook is just that they don't seem to have improved their inner, they, they changed their interface recently, but they haven't changed their functionality all that much. And I'm waiting for them to do something that has that wow factor where you just say, I'm so glad I'm on Facebook looking at baby pictures, and now they're doing this. Uh, and, and so I wrote about how they added this hub for the uh, Tokyo Olympics. It's a nice gesture. You can scroll through. You can see different news feeds and, and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't really do much for me. And I'm, I'm hoping that Facebook can figure out uh, how to add value to our lives in a way that doesn't seem like we're just doom scrolling and, you know, going through our feeds and doing the same thing over and over again. We've all become endpoints of Facebook. And it's a little concerning to me because it just seems to go on and on and on. There's no new features, no new functionality. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and crew really need to figure this out pretty soon. So um, in, in terms of the, the way that you are seeing the Olympics sort of emerge in maybe for the first time in the genuinely digital marketplace, 
Um, are you seeing trends? Are there things that you're seeing this year about the coverage of the Olympics or or the way that athletes or nations are um, being highlighted or emphasized because of the, I, I don't want to say the advent of digital media, because certainly digital has been around for a few years. But since five years ago, the last time we did this uh, in terms of the Olympics, it's radically changed. Yeah, and I don't know if you know the reference to this, Carmen. The, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. I think it's in Ecclesiastes. I just see this with social media. It seems to be that for a while, live streams were the in thing, and that was going to reset social media and help us all tune in. But it's strange that live streaming really isn't that much of a thing during the Olympics, at least as far as I can tell. There's not a lot of insider information where you can tune in and see behind the scenes of the Olympics. I, I want to see something that just blows me away. And I'm thinking, you know, this who, who cares about Twitter anymore? I just want to be on Facebook because of all these new features. Um, the other thing I would say is that the innovation is occurring more on these minor apps. For a while, it was Clubhouse. We've talked about it quite a bit Uh I was hoping that Facebook would enter that market and we'd all be using some sort of insider live stream for audio and video. That Those things seem to start out fits and starts, and then we lose interest and we go right back to the repetition and the things that we always do. And that's a spiritual concept as well. We kind of like things to stay the same. This is, uh, gets into a little bit of brain science. We tune into the same feed, we scroll and scroll and scroll, but nothing is ever new and nothing really is capturing our attention. We're, we just keep scrolling. All right, we're going to talk about um, Instagram or Instagrammable Christianity and why the concept of Instagrammable Christianity doesn't work with the author of 7-Minute Solution, that is John Brandon, and he and I will be right back. Instagram account. In all likelihood, you do too. Instagram has more than 700 million users. Uh, my Instagram is not very active. You know, there was a period of time in which every single day I just posted a picture on Instagram of Studio Dog, but Studio Dog has abandoned her princess pillow in the studio and she now sits outside the door, making it impossible for me to capture. Uh, a picture of her and post it on my Instagram. So there you go. My Instagram has been thwarted by my dog. John Brandon and I are going to talk about Instagrammable Christianity and in particular, um, why the concept of Instagrammable Christianity doesn't work. Yeah, this is a term that you coined the other day, and I, I was curious if this is something that you thought of yourself or is it a concept you've heard of before from other people? Uh, it, it captured my attention. Uh, the the thing with Instagrammable Christianity is it ties right into what all the experts on social media have been telling us for years, which is that when you're going through someone's feed, you're seeing their best moments. You're seeing birthday parties. You're seeing weddings. You're seeing smiling faces. There's even this concept of doing, uh, you know, maybe an engagement uh, photo where the, it's positioned and the lighting's perfect and everything's just right and it's meant for Instagram. And what happens with when we're doing that is we're seeing all these best moments and we're saying to ourselves, well, I can't measure up to that. 
I'm, I'm not that cool. I don't have situations where I'm in the perfect lighting, you know, on a dock on a, on a sunny day or something like that. And what, what I thought of with, from a spiritual standpoint is do we really want to live that way where we're showing everyone our best moments in our faith? Maybe we, we, you know, we're not showing a picture of us going to church, but we're living that way. We're living in such a way that we're only expressing the best moments and the best spiritual experiences, but we're not really saying, well, here's where I struggle. Here's where I've been a little bit depressed about something. Here's where, you know, I'm having a family conflict. And then what I, what I'm concerned about is when we're doing that Instagram Christianity, I wonder if we're actually growing in our faith because we're not revealing those moments when we're struggling with to other people. So I didn't coin it. Um, I'm familiar with the uh, the phrase or the term, um, and I'm pretty sure I read an article um, about Instagrammable Christianity in Table Talk. So I'm trying to sort of remember back. But I, I do hear this reference to this from time to time, and I think that for me, Instagrammable Christianity, um, I would put it into the category of, okay, there are these people who've become— Christian influencers, and they've become Christian influencers because they've paid somebody to basically create for them. My guess is they go on Fiverr and they, you know, they give somebody who knows how to filter and make pictures better and make cool graphics that overlay your photos. And um, and they've they've sent their photos to somebody who knows how to make things look really cool and trendy. Um, and those are now posted on their Instagram account, which has then, you know, gains followers because the the artwork is beautiful. Um, and that's all they ever post. And that is how that is their influence. And for me, John, you know, the challenge is there's no there there. There, This is a there's literally it's Instagram. They're not even real pictures, let alone <laughs> the complexity of real life. And so I think that when I say Instagrammable Christianity, I am I am probably there is a. There is in me this recognition that anybody who has a little cash could have a highly influential Instagram account, but there would be no there there necessarily in terms of the depth and breadth of their Christian walk, their Christian life, why you would be, quote unquote, following them in terms of a person speaking into your life on the things of the faith. And so for me, that's part of the challenge. It's this flimsy, filtered, no, they're there. And and I, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, it, I think that everybody's Instagram should have like a 360 camera because anybody can make one tiny little corner of their life at some given moment look presentable. But man, when you put that camera on that 360 swivel, you see every other corner and every other reality and the clutter and the challenge that each and every one of us faces every single day. Yeah, it seems like it's about 1% of our life that we're putting on social media. So we wonder why does social media seem like it's kind of surfacy and we're just showing our best moments. By the way, just very quickly, there's this concept in psychology called mentalism. And what it means is that we're representing ourselves in a certain way to others. And then those people are representing themselves to us which takes an enormous amount of brain power and deep thinking. And we do this when we meet in person. When I meet you in person, I'm 
mentalizing who you are and you're representing yourself to me and our brains are working overtime trying to figure out that relationship. Well, guess what? None of that happens on social media. We're not mentalizing at all. We're just seeing a nice photo on a sunny day. So here's my challenge. Next time you're on Instagram, think about what's the, what is this really representing? What are you mentalizing to others and what are you seeing from them? And is it really accurate? The Bible says to confess our sins to one another. That's how we grow. And are we doing that on social media? And maybe take that opportunity to say, I'm going to be a little bit more real today. I'm going to represent, maybe it's only 2% of myself that I'm mentalizing to others on social media, but that's doubling uh, our influence and doubling who we really are uh, on these digital channels. So when we think about being, uh, you know, real people, real Christians operating in the real world, having real relationships, facing real challenges. Uh, I think that's where this concept of an Instagrammable Christianity doesn't work and falls apart. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the message of John's post, which you can find at 7minutesolution.com, also the title of his book, 7minutesolution.com. Um, John, when you're thinking about the things happening in the world today in terms of the digital media uh, landscape, maybe give one one watchword, one thing you're looking at, one concern you have to share with uh, listeners this week. Yeah, this ties right into the Olympics So that we talked about earlier. One of the things about social media is it's supposed to be social. So another challenge for people is to say, how can I get together with other people? I feel like we're post-pandemic right now. Not really sure about that. But uh, use this opportunity to not just post on Instagram, but get together with people, talk about what's going on, talk about topics of the world, and then maybe go ahead and do a quick Instagram post later. But really focus on, let's be real people, let's be real with one another, let's get together and experience life together. Amen. Hey, thank you, brother, as always. That's John Brandon. You can find him at Forbes. You can find him at Northwestern Media. You can, yep, you can find him on Instagram. On Instagram, (laughs) he is John Brandon Author. We'll be right back. Chances are you know someone with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD can happen to anyone. It's not a sign of weakness. Lots of factors increase the chance that you would develop PTSD. Um, One of those is active duty military personnel. Steve West joins us next. We're going to talk about PTSD. We're going to talk about his brand new book, The Bronze Star, how PTSD feels. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How many disasters have been averted because one person refused to buckle under the strain? This is Max Licato. It's this kind of composure Paul is summoning when he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. The Greek word translated here as gentleness describes a temperament that's seasoned and mature. It envisions an attitude fitting to the occasion, level-headed and tempered. This gentleness is evident to all. Family members take note. Your friends sense a difference. Co-workers benefit from it. The gentle person is sober-minded and clear thinking. The contagiously calm person 
is the one who reminds others God is in control. Pursue this gentleness. The Lord is near. You are not alone. You may feel alone. You may think you're alone. But there is never a moment in which you face life without help. God is near. Be anxious for nothing. This is Max Lucado. All right, we talked to lots of authors here uh, on the program. I want to read you one endorsement from the book we are going to feature today. And full disclosure in advance, I'm the one who wrote it. So in our family, there were the knowing looks, holding your breath, avoiding certain topics of conversation, the desire to help, complicated by the fear of what your concerns might provoke. Our Marine arrived home from Afghanistan with two purple hearts and a deep soul wound. He grimaced with physical pain, but the torment of the PTSD was equally as bad, and I had no idea what he was feeling. There is so much in this book, The Bronze Scar, that I wish I had known a decade ago. I would have been better able to understand what my Marine was feeling. If you have longed for someone to open a window into the complex world of feelings associated with PTSD, The Bronze Scar is for you. That is my endorsement of... Steve West's brand new book, The Bronze Scar. Steve, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So there are, you know, seven or eight out of every hundred people walking around uh, in, in our world right now with some form of PTSD. So that's like eight million adults uh, in, in a given year here, uh, you know, in the United States of America. So we're talking about a lot of people. What is PTSD right. and how is it that it could happen to so many people? Well, PTSD, of course, uh, stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's how we relate to the trauma that may have happened in our life. It, it can be an event that happens that's horrific, that hits us very hard, or it can be continual trauma that we've gone through. And some people live in that, in the trauma every day. And because of that, they begin to develop PTSD. And not everyone will. And we don't have the answers for why one person will and one won't. I I do have it, but I know a number of people around me that do not. And so it is our reaction and how the brain deals with the trauma either trying to push it back or or to deal with it in sometimes an inappropriate way. So for people who were directly exposed to trauma um, or injured, it's, you know, sort of highly likely that they would develop PTSD. You have served for 28 years as a military chaplain, an EMT, a city police officer, a hospital chaplain. Uh, but you also just know firsthand in your own life what PTSD feels like. That is what makes this book, The Bronze Scar, so unique. You talk about what it feels like. Right. And the whole idea was I never knew what those feelings meant. And trying to explain those to people is very difficult. I mean, you have to understand that even though you have PTSD, it doesn't mean that you understand it all. 
And so explaining it to others is very hard. Hopefully in the book, people will see the different symptoms as I have it broken down in different chapters for symptom anxiety, anger, isolation, the triggers that cause it, so many of those things. And for the person who has PTSD, what it does is it brings something to them and they, all of a sudden they say, that's how I feel. That's what's going through my brain. I must not be crazy because, believe me, I at least and many others that I know, at times because of our behavior or because of the way we're thinking or the things we're doing, even inside, we ask ourselves, am I crazy or is it just this? And so the feelings are important. It's also very important because people who love someone with PTSD, they don't understand. Uh, they sympathize and they support and they help, but they don't know what's going on inside. So when they're angry at them, what's happening? This book will explain this is what's happening to me in that moment, both in my head, in my emotions, and in my actions. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I feel like the bronze scar really provides uh, for those of us who are not currently suffering from PTSD, but uh, who are certainly living in a world populated by people who are, um, mm-hmm. it, it provides us a reference point. I think that is uh, really helpful, being able to relate to a loved one or a colleague or a neighbor or a friend um, who is suffering with PTSD and is therefore acting in ways or lashing out or even hurting uh, the people who are who are closest and who want to help. Um, it, it provides a, a way of understanding what is provoking, what is behind the anxiety, the anger, the action, um, right. and, and getting to the place where I stop expecting that this person is going to be like they were before the traumatic um, uh, event or series of experiences. Like that, that's, it's going to be different. We are going to get to move forward together, but, you know, there's no going back. Right. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And the first line in the book, I say PTSD is not about conquering. It's about enduring. And Mm -hmm. you just said that. And so that's what happens. We may not ever get to a place where it's gone, but we can get to a place where either through our own knowledge and being prepared for what's happening and being able to recognize it, we can mute it it some, uh, bring it back. But uh, when we're doing all of these things, we know that there is healing. I mean, without God, I don't know how I would have made it through this uh, to this point. Now, that doesn't mean that I feel good all the time because I don't by far. But at the same time, there are things that can happen, and part of that healing is getting it, I I would say. So you continue to go through it. It, It's kind of like we say, once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, Well, once you have PTSD, you'll always have PTSD. Now, it may not manifest itself in a way where it 
hinders your life, inhibits the things that you are. But one of the things that's very important is I am not the person I used to be. And Mm -hmm. this new person, I don't like as much because it's taken away some of those precious things that I felt and were a part of my life. And that's one of the hard things. When you take medications, uh, thank God for medications. Uh, I don't fight them because they help me to be a better person to other people and to be able to make it through myself without being anxiety-ridden every day. But you have to understand, psychotropic drugs try to center you. They try to move in so that those rough, rough edges are gone. You don't feel them near as much, so you don't act on them. But also, the other side's true. If you take away and center one side, the negative side, you've also taken away some on the positive side because it's centering you. So, so I don't feel the joy that I used to feel. I'm happy, and I can have joy in an incident, but in life, I've lost that. Steve West, uh, I know him because uh, he is a part of the Evangelical Chaplains Commission at the National Association of Evangelicals, so we've known one another for a long period of time. He is the author of The Bronze Scar, How PTSD Feels. If you are um, a family member of a person suffering with PTSD, you are a person in uh, a church where there are people who have PTSD, which would be all of us, every church. The Bronze Scar is a great resource. How PTSD feels to help victims and those who support them. You can find it, and you can find Steve at Bronze Scar, S-C-A-R, bronzescar.com. Today is the release date of the book. Steve and I will be right back. Continue my conversation with Steve West. We're talking about his brand new book, The Bronze Scar. You can find it at bronzescar.com. It releases today in both print and digital formats. Um, Steve, Carolyn has texted in uh, and she says, uh, you know, I have a brother who suffers terribly with PTSD. He served in Vietnam. I'm wondering if this is a book for him, might be a vehicle for the Lord to reach him. I, I texted back and said to Carolyn, you should read it first. It's really for, quote unquote, us, maybe not, quote unquote, them first. Talk with us about uh, about that. Like, th- this is, I feel like this book is for those of us who love people who suffer with PTSD, not necessarily for the people suffering. And you're right, Carmen. Uh, one of the desires is to better understand. And the book will help her understand when when he or she isolates themselves, why? It doesn't make sense. When they get angry, there was nothing to get angry about. But if you have what's underlying in that person, then it will help you help them. Uh, but 
It's also for people who have PTSD. One of the problems is that we feel out of place and feel alone because the people around us aren't acting the way we are or probably feeling the way we are. But at least with this, if I have PTSD, it's a validation. I'm not alone. There is someone else that's feeling this. But the families... That's huge, right? I mean, that's huge. In both cases, it's huge to know that you're not alone. Yeah. Oh, definitely. My whole desire in doing this, God laying it on my heart, was to help those with PTSD, to help people who think they might have PTSD, but they've never been diagnosed, and then to help the families. We have to understand the real victims in this I mean, someone with PTSD is a victim. We don't take that away. But the people who have to go through day-to-day life loving and supporting them take the brunt of what's going on. Uh, We tend to be more at ease with our families and loved ones. So more things come out, and we, of course, spend more time with them. So we're snappy. uh, We're judgmental. uh, We just don't want to talk. And so these families that go through so much, my heart goes out to because I know my family has and is dealing with this along with me. We don't talk about dealing with it so much, but we are doing it. And so hopefully for her, it'll give some kind of awareness where something clicks that will help the one she loves. So, Steve, you've got a lot of experience across a wide wide range of, of ministries and resources. So I'm wondering if if there are some ministries and resources that come to mind that we could offer to Carolyn and others like her um, that she might be able to then in turn recommend to her brother. Um, you know, are there like go-to resources when we have a family member or close friend suffering with PTSD? Oh, absolutely. There's a number of things out there. Uh, Interestingly enough, the first things I would say is some of the government sites have excellent information on them. Uh, In the back of the book, one of the resources, of course, is National Institute of Health. Uh, Another one is Veterans Administration. These places have undergone studies interviews, being people themselves who have it. And so you'll gain a wealth of knowledge if you just go to some of the .gov organizations. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. people aren't veterans. Most people aren't veterans. But believe me, whether the person they love is someone who served in the military or serving in the military or they were a first responder, a medical caregiver, law enforcement, uh, all of the different things where it's caregiving opportunities and and careers, then these are still for you. I mean, uh, just like this book, it's the bronze scar, but, but it doesn't mean that it's a military book. Certainly it's it's written by my experiences and what I feel, and I spent a lot of years as, as an Air Force chaplain. But 
we're going to be putting more and more resources on our site too. And you can go out and search and you will find many, many things. But again, I say it's really smart to start with maybe some of the government, which is something I wouldn't normally think I would be saying. (laughs) Right. All right. So I'm talking with Dr. Steve West. Um, He has been diagnosed with PTSD. Um, He is the director of chaplaincy for the National Association of Evangelicals. His book is The Bronze Scar. Best place to connect with him is right there at the website, bronzescar.com. Steve, before we let you go today, um, talk with us about how we could be praying for chaplains uh, in the military today. That's a really good question, and there are a number of ways, but the ones that are are very important is, one, that they would have the insight and God's leading to talk with those, work with those, care for those who have PTSD in their families. Uh, Sometimes our intentions are the best in the world, but we don't have uh, the right answers. Hopefully, one of the big things is we know God will instill them with the words. The Holy Spirit will work with them. And that's very important that the chaplains pray that they are in tune to what God has for them and for those that they're ministering to. And so also, uh, just like with many caregivers, it may not be event-related. It may not be one event as much as it can be a PTSD, but vicarious trauma is a real thing. So what that means is it's things that keep continuing in your lives. Uh, those in during COVID, it was brought to our forefront that these different people in the medical fields and in those caring fields uh, are people who see it every day. They deal with things like this every day. And so it weighs on them. Just pray that they would find the releases, the people to talk to, and their faith to fall on. Well, Steve, your conversation, our conversation today um, has blessed those who are listening. Um, One one of the members of our community says this is a great interview. Uh, We need more of this. Thank you. Uh, so thank you, Steve, so much. The book is The Bronze Scar, Understanding How PTSD Feels to Help Victims and Those Who Support Them. Today is the release day, so blessings on our friend and colleague Steve West. Um, may may the Lord increase uh, increase your tribe, man, because this is a, it's a real gift. So oh, thanks for joining us today. That's so sweet. Uh, and it is available today on Amazon also. Uh, I know. I know. I'm looking at it right now. Thanks, man. Oh, okay. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk uh, with Steve West again soon. Um, we got. We got to go though. We got to go right now. All right. That's. Uh, I, we'll be right back. That's what I'm supposed to say. We'll be right back. Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! For a cheerful. Yeah, that's because today is Paul Perot's Woo-hoo. second anniversary. Yes. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo. Happy anniversary, man! Thank you. Thank you. You're doing something nice. 
Uh, yes, uh, we're we're going to be going out to a very nice dinner tonight, plus some other things. So, yeah, it's good. Will you will you be with us in the morning, or should yes, we plan to I'll be, be by it, ourselves? Let's put it this way: um, because of my schedule, dinner for us is going to be like <laughs> three in the afternoon, so oh, yeah. I can still get home, get some That's rest. Crazy, and, isn't it? Yeah, we appreciate yeah. it. We yeah. appreciate the sacrifice that your family makes so that we can do what we do every day, and we recognize that that's a burden on Jessica, and so. Give her our thanks and gratitude uh, as you celebrate tonight. Will do. Will do. Marriage is a great thing. Uh, it is a, a a look forward to what it means for each and all of us to be a part of the bride of Christ in the kingdom of heaven. So whether or not you are married or unmarried right now, recognize that in Christ Jesus, you can be a part of the bride. Uh, and that is a holy and pure and beautiful thing to be. So maybe uh, think today about what's my anniversary with Jesus? What's uh, what's the anniversary related to that relationship? And spend some time reflecting today on the goodness and grace of God in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. You can uh, reload today's episode at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Share it with somebody new. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.